When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. As always, go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Simply an email uh, to subscribe to our uh, emailing list. We'll get you access to uh, a free PDF on the top 200 drugs. Great little no-brainer to have there. Uh, It's a 31-page PDF. Uh, also recently released, uh, Flippin' Pharmacology Flashcards. I'll leave a link in the show notes. That's a great way uh, to help financially support this podcast and uh, no-brainer for anybody going through pharmacology classes, board exams. Uh, this is stuff that's going to show up on your exams, uh, no doubt. I've been through those classes. I know what's going to be uh, tested, and uh, I also have a, a great uh, appreciation for what's going to happen in, in clinical practice, too, and the things that you're most likely to see most often. So, uh, again, I'll leave the link to that resource uh, in the show notes. All right, the drug of the day today is amlodipine. Uh, Brand name of this medication is Norvasc. Uh, This medication is classified as a dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. Uh, The primary use that you're going to see uh, this medication used for in practice is blood pressure management, hypertension management. Uh, So keep in mind uh, the difference primarily between dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers and non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers. So your uh, non-DHP, for an abbreviation there, non-DHP calcium channel blockers are uh, verapamil and diltiazem. Your dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers like amlodipine here, uh, the big difference is uh, the non-dihydropyridines, verapamildotizem, have action on the heart, and amlodipine typically doesn't, or at least uh, the doses that we utilize, typically we're not going to have much effect on the heart. So that is the, the primary difference, and I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit on that coming up. But uh, I think that classification is important, and I think it's important to remember that difference uh, and distinction there. So mechanistically... Uh, amlodipine uh, blocks calcium slow channels in vascular smooth muscle. Uh, ultimately, this leads to smooth muscle relaxation, which causes vasodilation. So using a garden hose or pipe analogy, uh, the bigger the pipe, the more open that pipe you make, uh, the more it's going to drop the internal pressure. So open up the vessels, uh, drop blood pressure, and again, it makes sense why we use amlodipine for blood pressure management. Uh, a couple of other uses I wanted to touch on. Uh, so chronic stable angina, managing an- angina symptoms and trying to prevent uh, angina symptoms. Uh, you will potentially see amlodipine or another calcium channel blocker used in this situation. Uh, beta blockers are typically going to be first line in angina management and trying to prevent it. Uh, but calcium channel blockers uh, you will see in practice added on as kind of a next step uh, or, you know, in a patient that has 
too low of a heart rate or other contraindications to beta blockers, uh, you might see uh, amlodipine used in its place there. Uh, the other indication I wanted to mention was uh, Raynaud's disorder, or sometimes called Raynaud's uh, phenomenon. Uh, amlodipine calcium channel blockers are first line uh, in the management of that disease state there. Uh, dosing of this medication, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, 2.5, I sometimes see in my elderly patients started, just to make sure we don't you know, dip that blood pressure too low or they don't run into edema. Uh, that's kind of the usual starting dose, 2.5 to 5 milligrams. Younger patients, you'll probably see it started at 5 milligrams. Uh, and then we dose it up to 10 milligrams per day is kind of the usual standard range for once daily dosing. Adverse effect profile. All right, let's get into this a little bit. So I alluded to that edema. So the higher you go on the dose of amlodipine, the more likely you're, you're going to see that peripheral edema. Most of the time, it's probably swelling around the ankles. Uh, but mechanistically, if you think about how the drug works, uh, it basically opens up those larger vessels, um, which lowers the pressure in those larger vessels, vessels uh, but it can increase the amount of flow that's going down into the smaller vessels and the capillaries specifically. So if we get a larger amount of fluid in those capillaries, it could increase the pressure there. And with that increased pressure, we might get some leakage of fluid out into the tissues. And with that leakage, that's where the swelling comes into play. And uh, furosemide, I've seen it added numerous times for swelling of the ankles due to amlodipine. Um, it's typically not going to help much uh, in that situation. Now, if you excessively dehydrate them to the point of, you know, renal failure and, and injuring the patient, like, sure, you know, maybe that, that would uh, help a little bit as far as that swelling around the ankles. Um, but typically those, those lower doses of furosemide, uh, you, you're probably not going to see a response. So if you get put into that situation, if you're a provider, if you're a nurse monitoring a patient, pharmacist, whoever, uh, pay attention to that. Okay, so if you see amlodipine started and, you know, two weeks later you see a prescription for furosemide, 99% uh, of the time you can guess exactly what happened here. Okay, that amlodipine caused edema and, you know, the provider, whoever's prescribing it, didn't recognize it, added furosemide on top of that. And that is a perfect example of the prescribing cascade. I, I go through tons of those examples uh, in my book, Perils of Polypharmacy, which you can find uh, on Amazon there. But um, you've got to pay attention to that. I, I've seen it probably dozens to hundreds of times uh, in, in my career um, where we have that prescribing cascade going on with calcium channel blocker causing edema and adding furosemide. Okay, so really, really important uh, point there to pay attention to that. Uh, other adverse effects, obviously we're going to drop blood pressure. Um, so making sure particularly our patients at risk of falls, we're not dropping it too far. Uh, that's an important thing. Um, and or when we add on other meds, that can drop blood pressure. And I'll talk a little bit about that in drug interactions section two. Um, so important, 
obviously to to pay attention to that hopefully you're going to pay attention to that because you're probably using it to drop blood pressure um but in the event we're, we're starting to dip too far uh, obviously we got to look at that uh, constipation is something i have seen come up i would say it's probably more prominent with um the non-dihydropyridines like verapamil and diltiazem uh, but it is something that I, I pay attention to. Again, kind of that prescribing cascade thing. If I see amlodipine added and then, you know, you see constipation medications added shortly after that, um, you know, we can guess that that might be a contributing factor at a minimum. Uh, other adverse effects, I mean, there's some rare skin reactions, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's a pretty well-tolerated medication, Um with the most prominent adverse effect being that swelling uh, in in the ankles and, and edema type adverse effect. Uh, from a kinetic standpoint, uh, duration of action typically is going to be well over 24 hours. Half-life is uh, in the range of 30 to 52 hours. So uh, we're going to be able to get away with once daily dosing, which is ideal um, for a blood pressure uh, medication if we have to take a blood pressure medication. So uh, occasionally I have seen uh, folks, providers try uh, twice daily dosing. So amlodipine five in the morning, five at night. Uh, there's been a couple reasons I've seen that. So one is if we feel somebody's spiking blood pressure later in the day. Um, I don't think there's a ton of evidence to support BID do dosing um, in, in my experience. Um, but I, I, can't say I haven't seen it before. Uh, the other thing that uh, providers might be trying to do that BID dosing is if they are running into edema and we don't have any other blood pressure options that we like, um, maybe they try to, you know, kind of even out the, um, con you know, blood concentrations and maybe we get a little less edema with that. So again, that's kind of another theory, um, how much evidence there is to, to back that up. Uh, I, I haven't found a ton um, to back up uh, separating out the dosing or doing twice daily uh, to reduce edema, um, but those are the, the two primary reasons I've seen BID dosing um, tried when in the overwhelming majority of cases, it's not appropriate and probably not going to make much difference. Uh, monitoring parameters, blood pressure, obviously, that's kind of a no-brainer. Um, under the package insert, heart rate is listed. Um, how much is it going to affect heart rate? I don't think a lot. Obviously, if you're using, you know, crazy eye doses or something wacky, you may have a little bit more action on the heart. Um, but usual 2.5 to 10 milligrams, uh, you're probably not going to see much effect on pulse. And we typically get that anyway when we do blood pressure. And then, of course, uh, you're going to want to monitor for edema, of course. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and I'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study material like ambulatory care, BCPS, BCMTMS, geriatrics exam, or the NAPLEX exam, uh, go check out meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. We've got a growing list of resources there that can definitely help you pass your board exam. It's been about... Uh, almost 10 years that we've been uh, creating content, helping people pass board exams. Uh, so we've got a ton of experience uh, in, in helping there. So again, all those links, uh, meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. 
All right, wrapping up with drug interactions. If you go look at amlodipine in a drug action, uh, drug interaction checker uh, or the package insert, there's actually quite a lot of drug interactions listed with amlodipine. Uh, I will say in clinical practice, um, it's not a drug I'm incredibly worried about drug interactions, um, but there are a few uh, that I do pay a little bit uh, closer attention to. So um, first off, amlodipine is a weak CYP3A4 inhibitor. So first drug that comes to mind, a lot of people with cardiovascular issues, they're on uh, cholesterol medications and uh, simvastatin actually has a max recommended dose of 20 milligrams per day on amlodipine. Uh, that's definitely something that I probably encountered a lot more five or 10 years ago, um, maybe even longer than that, uh, when um, atorvastatin and rosuvastatin were not generic. Um, obviously, we went to simvastatin maybe a little bit more, but I don't see that as much uh, anymore. I'm seeing, obviously, way more atorvastatin and rosuvastatin, but it is something to uh, pay attention to if you do have somebody on simvastatin. Uh, can increase uh, the concentrations of some of the other statins as well. Um, there aren't specific uh, guidelines or dosing recommendations, I believe, with any of the others, um, but there is some, you know, kind of mild interactions where it may increase concentrations. So uh, it's definitely something that I you know, pay attention to, particularly if you note somebody experiencing statin-induced side effects, um, especially after they've recently started amlodipine. So I think it's important to have it in the back of your mind. Um, how significant is it? How often are there issues with it? I mean, it's not incredibly common uh, in, in actual practice. Uh, immunosuppressive agents. This is definitely something I, I look out for. Um, you know, tacrolimus, cyclosporin, uh, these can be altered by CYP3A4 inhibitor. And even amlodipine being a weak CYP3A4 inhibitor, it's probably not going to alter concentrations too significantly. However, when you've got drugs that if we don't have adequate concentrations, really serious things can happen like uh, rejection, for example, uh, if we're using it for a transplant patient. Um, we've got to be aware of that. So immunosuppressives, anyone with a transplant taking immunosuppressive agents, I'm really, really careful pretty much with all medications when a new one is started. Uh, we've got to make sure we don't run into drug interactions there. Uh, inhibitors and inducers of CYP3A4 may uh, alter concentrations of amlodipine itself. Uh, so inhibitors could increase concentrations of amlodipine. Inducers could reduce concentrations of amlodipine. Again, how clinically significant is this? Um, I don't worry about it a ton. Uh, so if we add an inhibitor, you know, you may be a little bit more likely to uh, get higher concentrations, and um, you're probably going to run into um, edema, or you're more likely to run into edema if we have higher drug concentrations. Uh, inducers on the flip side, you know, you're going to monitor blood pressure. And if you all of a sudden see their blood pressure spike, it's like, okay, well, maybe that um, SIP enzyme inducer, 3A4 enzyme inducer, um, caused lower concentrations and caused the blood pressure to go up. So, uh, again, not typically crazy worried about it, not like total contraindicated that we can't use them together, um, but you're probably going to want to do a little monitoring there. 
Uh, and then, of course, additive uh, blood pressure lowering medications. So any med used for blood pressure, it's a no-brainer that it's going to um, have an additive effect on top of a drug like amlodipine. Uh, but I always like to remind people about the drugs that we don't think about um, that aren't classified as blood pressure lowering meds, but do lower blood pressure. Uh, so your alpha blockers used in BPH, uh, those can definitely lower blood pressure, PDE5 inhibitors, uh, sildenafil, for example, brand name Viagra uh, for uh, erectile dysfunction, those can definitely lower blood pressure. Uh, and then cinnamon. Uh, for Parkinson's disease is another one that um, can lower blood pressure. Sometimes some of the antipsychotics uh, can have some alpha blocking activity too and, and lower blood pressure. So um, something to pay attention to. Um, usually we're, we're pretty on top of that with uh, just checking blood pressure, being alert, paying attention to reports of dizziness, things like that. And then the last one I wanted to uh, at least briefly mention was uh, calcium salts. So there is a theoretical interaction. It's We're talking about using a uh, calcium channel blocker. So increasing uh, calcium intake um, may blunt the effect, or at least it's theorized to blunt the effect. Uh, in clinical practice, I typically don't worry about a patient, let's say, got a 68-year-old female taking amlodipine for blood pressure and they're taking calcium supplement uh, for osteoporosis prevention, that type of thing. I, I'm not typically worried about it. We're just going to monitor blood pressure. Hey, are they at goal? That type of thing. Um, and I don't think there's really strong evidence anyway to suggest that it's going to be a significant blunting effect. Uh, with that said, if you got somebody taking excessive doses or you know, something wacky like that. Uh, it is something maybe to keep in the, the back of your mind. But again, uh, not clinically earth-shattering uh, drug interaction, in my opinion. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you found this podcast helpful, please do me a huge favor, leave a rating review on iTunes. Uh, you can support this podcast financially. Uh, Flippin' Pharmacology Flashcards is a great way to do that on Amazon. Uh, I've got tons of other books uh, items for pharmacists, uh, med students, PAs, nurse practitioners, uh, all the links uh, to financially support the podcast you can find uh, at meded101.com slash store. If you want to reach out to me, got suggestions on podcast episodes, uh, feedback, I said something wrong, definitely don't hesitate to, to reach out. I'm definitely not perfect. So uh, mededucation101 at gmail.com is my email. Uh, and you can track me down on LinkedIn as well, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. With that said, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, found it helpful, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.